morning, everybody. I'm excited because we're beginning a mini-series today. It's actually going to be taking place on Thursdays, and uh, we were going to start last Thursday, but we, as a staff, were meeting last week, and we're talking about all the exciting stories from the trip, and said, hey, how about on Thursday, we just share testimonies, so that was exciting, so um, really glad for those that were able to be a part of that, and um, by the way, just Becca's testimony in, 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 about pork chop just really encourages me, because sometimes when we're preaching the gospel to somebody, if they're not in the right state of mind, whether they've been drunk or, or on drugs, like in my mind, sometimes I've, I've just easily written those people off of like, oh, they're not going to hear me. I, I might as well not waste my time or theirs. But God can sober somebody up. God can get someone in their right mind in that moment, the preaching of the word. So Jesus, thank you, Becca and Ariel and Olivia. <laughs> but um, we're going to be doing a series on Jesusology. I'm excited. Jesusology. That just means the study of Jesus. We love this man, Jesus Christ. And uh, this this week, I'm going to kick it off. There's going to be a number of us teaching. Jeremy, Vince, I believe Marvin Cotton. We're all going to be taking turns. Make sure you come these next coming Thursdays. It's going to be really great stuff. So now I'm going to start today talking to you about the deity of Jesus. Yeah. Which I'm excited about. You know... This question of, 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 of who is Jesus is the most important question for you and I to answer. Not only when someone comes and asks us, but I'm talking about who is Jesus when you go home and you shut your door and you're on your bed at night. Who is Jesus to you at that point? What does this man mean to you? You know, Jesus sent out his disciples in, in, in groups of two and sent them out to go heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, and to preach the kingdom of God. Our Encounter Jesus School students know those as faith assaults. <laughs> That's what we call them. They're exciting. But so as his friends come back, he's talking to them in Matthew 16, and they've been seeing all kinds of miracles, talking to people about the kingdom, talking to people about Jesus. And Jesus is asking this question, who do people say that I am? What are people saying about me out there? And it was that question that Jesus, I, I do not believe he was asking that question because he didn't know the answer to it, but he was stirring up in his disciples and he, he was saying, what do they say? But he was preparing them to answer, what do you say? What do you say? I want to show us a short video. So you'll look up here at the screen. Amanda, you can go ahead and kick that off. White guy with a beard? Oh my God, you are! You're Jesus Christ! He died for our sins so that we could be saved. And in my religion, it means we can f up as much as we want. And as long as we are truly sorry, then we're saved. A white they guy. <laughs> Looks like he's from the 60s. A reason to believe and to continue on in your life and your journey. Not that blonde-haired dude that they show in all those pictures. I think Jesus was just a story made up by someone. Could have been probably a, a, a real person. It's something special, but uh, not, not, not like the story says. I'm actually glad you're all here tonight. I want to tell you that one of you will betray me. Nah, <laughs> just kidding. Ah, he's doing that thing he did in his storybook. Uh, Jesus, a friend of mine from Puerto Rico. I don't know. I, I don't know Jesus very well, so... 
Jesus, like Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Definitely not the guy who cuts my lawn. Dear Tiny, and for Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. Yes, there's definitely something special about Jesus. The same things that are special about me and you and, well, everybody. Definitely good morals and beliefs, and um, possibly had some special gift. And his best pal, Peter. Oh, 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 wow. Who do you say Jesus is? He's really important. His birthday's coming up. People, believe in Jesus. He is your savior. He is number one. Everyone is giddy with anticipation for Jesus to come out because as we all know, if Jesus comes out of his house and is not scared by his shadow, it means the next thousand years will be full of peace and love. He was just really chill. I think he even smoked some pot, so I love Jesus even more. He seems like a kind of Gandhi-type guy. Some superpower. I just don't know. I, I believe in him, so... Uh, he was Jewish. Look, I think he's inspiring for a lot of people, so that's really cool to me. God bless him. <laughs> a make-believe story that's got blown out of proportion. That was a survey done on the streets of New York City. And if we go out, even in, in the streets of Dallas, we go out in the malls, we go out on the college campuses, ask people, who do you say Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? We're going to get a variety of answers such as that. And, but there's, there's something, you know, if you are in a situation where you're hearing someone talk about someone you know well, you know that person, you know that person B is telling you about your friend that you know really, really well, and they're saying all of these things about your friend that aren't true. What is your sudden urge? It's like, no, 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 that's not my friend. That's not the friend I know. And, um, and, and you know, Jesus, there are many different opinions about him. In fact, in these last days, um, it, it, the, the controversy and the conflict over the person of Jesus Christ will be the primary controversy that we see. Jesus said that there will be many false Christs that come in my name that day. And there will be many false prophets that are telling you the wrong things about who I am and about what is to come. We've been talking in, in our eschatology class in the Encounter Jesus School that there is, and, and, and I've taught on it here before, that there is a global one world religion and government coming that will proclaim always lead to God, always lead to salvation, and that Jesus is no more than just another set of beliefs, another tenet of faith, and another man who may have done some good things in history, but no uniqueness about him whatsoever. And that is the age that we're living in today. But when Peter was asked this question, who do you say that I am? By revelation, he said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you are blessed, Simon, son of Jodah, for this is not something that someone has simply told you about. This is something that's been revealed to you by my father in heaven. Yeah. 
And so when I, I'm going to talk to you a little bit today about what the scriptures say about Jesus, about what church fathers have said about Jesus, and about what Jesus has said about Jesus, and why all this is important. But my, my prayer for you today is really a couple of things, is A, that you would not just walk away saying, okay, now I've learned some kind of doctrinal statement about and teaching about who Jesus Christ is, so I know, I know the Christianity better, I know how to argue better, I know how to practice my apologetics better. And I, I think all of those things are actually very valuable and very important. But this, this question is going to be something that you will have to answer for yourself. And everyone that's saying these things about Jesus, one day each one of us are going to stand before him. And some of these negative things that the world is saying right now about him and about his nature, one day they will have to look at him face to face. An answer for what, for what they said. But there's also this invitation that I'm giving you today to, to draw you into meditation on the character and to contemplate and to inquire and to sit with the Lord and really be driven to get to know him intimately. But, but in, in the truths that we talk about today, not just storing them as facts in your head, but as giving you material and conversation and dialogue material with Jesus after you leave today. Jesus, Matthew said this, what do you think about this? Jesus, you show me, because at the end of the day, the revelation has to come from the Father. Yeah. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. Let's turn to John chapter 1. We're going to read verse 1 through 5, and then verse 14. John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 14, and the Word, the same word from verse 1, that was God, that was with God, that was in the beginning, this word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. Father, I pray that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation this morning. That, Lord, the words that come out of my mouth would have the thank you for the anointing that's in me. And, God, that they would strike our hearts and, and create hunger in us to know you better. And, Lord, that we would know you for who you are. We want to know you rightly. And we want to be fascinated by the beauty of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Jesus... The Word became flesh. I'm here to declare to you to this morning that Jesus is God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus is God. This is a very important truth that has been fought over in even wars throughout church history. Men have shed their blood to maintain this truth in Christianity. And the creeds that we have today, and I'm going to read little excerpts of, of, of one or two of them from you to, to you today, that, um, that, that men died for these truths. And we have them in our prayer books, we have them, and you can get them online, but, but men shed their blood 
so that this truth would be maintained and unify Christianity. Um, there is these four aspects about the person of Jesus that are very foundational and key to, um, to, to further understanding his heart and, 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 and that, are, that are the definition of Christian orthodoxy. And the smart people call it this, the hypostatic union. <laughs> the union of, in, the, in the being and the person of Jesus Christ. So these four things. Christ is truly God, number one. He's or fully God, truly God, very God, fully God. He's truly man. He is one person with two natures. Truly God, truly man, one person with two natures, divine and human. And so... I like to tell people this, if you're part of a Christian organization that does not hold these tenets, you're probably a part of some kind of cult or, <laughs> or sect um, of Christianity that, that, that is um, not consistent with, with the scripture or with Orthodox Christianity. So, these are very important truths. Jesus was not a man that just merely experienced God. He was not a man that became God. He was God from the beginning. And he became flesh. He became a human being. So, I want to read just a, a few excerpts. His, uh, if anyone, I grew up in the Episcopal Church, and every single Sunday, we would read through the Nicene Creed. And this, you know, it was easy to take for granted. And we, you know, you memorize it after about the a millionth time that you say it on Sunday. Sunday just keeps rolling around. And we keep saying the same, same prayer, reciting the same creed. But I think there's so much power in our declaration when we're, when we're standing before the throne of God and we're saying, this is who Jesus is. This is what we believe about him. So I'm going to read to you the Nicene Creed. It says, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and was incarnate of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven. Whew, Jesus. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who is with the Father and the Son and is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. I have two or three other creeds that I'm not going to read, but um, this, was, this was a creed that was developed at the Council of Nicaea in the 4th century. 
And the purpose of this meeting, and, and there are a lot of other things involved. There was, there's, there unfortunately were a lot of political um, things going on at the church at the time. A lot of things being practiced that should not have been practiced. But these councils that were, these creeds were developed were for the purpose of establishing unity in Christianity and saying, what do we say? What do the scriptures say? And what do we believe about Jesus Christ? So these were very, very important times, and, um, and, and, and they were often speaking to different heresies and different, different twists and turns and distortions of the person of Jesus Christ that were going around different pockets of Christianity in that day. Um, unfortunately, not everybody agreed, but um, the majority of Christianity held to these truths. He is fully God, fully man. One person with two natures. So, why is this important? Why would men take the time to come all over the world to talk about this, to have a discussion, to pray about it, and even some of them to, to, to shed their blood for it? Well, um, there are uh, three important reasons I want to highlight to you on why these four truths are absolutely essential to the Christian faith, to the work of the cross, and to our salvation. Um, and I'm taking these from a theologian or, uh, named Wayne Grudem. He's written a book called Systematic Theology. That's a good one. <laughs> Jeremy likes it. Jeremy owns it. I've seen it at his house. Um, and these, these are really important, and actually they're really important to know if you ever engage in dialogue with the Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, because those, those cults um, drift away from these truths and drift away from the full deity and full humanity of Christ. But Wayne Grudem gives these three reasons um, of why Jesus has to be God. First of all, only someone who is God could bear the full penalty of all the sins of those who would believe in him. See, it says Jesus knew no sin, but he became sin and bore all of the responsibility and all of the wrath, all of the punishment, and all the rage of Satan for every single human being from Adam until he returns. Any finite creature, Grudem says, would have been incapable of bearing that penalty. Now, innocent people have died in place of others, but, but for the weight of sin and the demands of punishment that, that God has in his divine courts, that it would take someone who is fully God to completely be able to carry that intensity of hell on their shoulders. Number two, salvation is from the Lord. And the whole message of scripture is designed to show that no human being, no creature could ever save man. Only God himself could. And we see this perfectly declared by the father himself in Isaiah 59. That he's looking and it's, it's a picture of what the world is like both at that time but also an end time picture of the ripening of sin. And, and, and just all of the injustice going on in the world. And God is saying that I, I searched for a man who would say but there was no one. There was no one so I stretched out my own arm for salvation. And the arm of the Lord, the, very, the, the person and the nature of God had to come and bring salvation because no one else was found adequate. In Revelation 5, the father is standing at his throne. 
or sitting upon his throne, and he has a scroll in his right hand. And this scroll represents two things, the title deed to the earth, the action plan to cleanse it. Because Jesus is going to set up his kingdom on this earth. And that title deed, it had, was sealed with seven seals. And John, John the Apostle saw this, and there were angels shouting in heaven, Who is worthy to open the scroll? Who is worthy to loose its seals? And he said, And they found no one in all of heaven, all of earth, or under the earth. No one was worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals. And John began to weep, but the angel said, Stop weeping for the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed and he will open the scroll and loose its seals. No man was found worthy besides Jesus. Number three, only someone who is truly and fully God could be the mediator between God and man, both to bring us back to God and to reveal God most fully to us. Basically saying, Jesus, part of what he did on the earth is he was revealing the heart and the nature of the Father. Yeah. And it says very specifically about him in Scripture that, that no one has seen God except him who has come from the bosom of the Father. That Jesus was with the Father in eternity, and that when he came to earth, he was the only one capable of fully revealing the nature of God because he was God. It's really easy to reveal yourself to other people. <laughs> but if someone stands in the place of Matthew and is going around the world representing Matthew, he may be pretty close, but he's not Matthew Esquivel. Luke Jackson came up to me just before service and said, Matthew, I found your twin. The volleyball courts look just like me, was probably almost as handsome as I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think it was May or somebody said, he should have come here. And I'm like, no, 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 no. There can't be two Matthews. <laughs> there is only one. <laughs> there is only one. <laughs> Jesus, I know that song's about you, but I'm sure you thought that was really funny. <laughs> so it takes God to perfectly reveal God. That makes sense. Okay, so there was uh, some church fathers, Irenaeus and Tertullian, said he became what we are that he might bring us to be even what he is himself. Amen. I'm going to say more on that later. John Calvin, finally, since as God only he could not suffer, and as man only he could not overcome death, he united the human nature with the divine, that he might subject the weakness of the one to death as an expiation of sin, and by the power of the other, maintaining a struggle with death, might gain us the victory. In other words, through the weakness of the human nature, he could, take, he could taste death. As God, he could not die, but as a man, he could taste death, but by the strength of his divine nature, he could overcome it. He did not stay in that grave. Thank you, Jesus. So, the scriptures talk about this man as a, as a God-man. The smart people use this word, the theanthropos, the theanthropos. I need smart Marvin. <laughs> Help me out. <laughs> More or less. <laughs> the Anthropos. Um, these, uh, these, uh, there, were, there were various um, 
heresies that were coming up throughout history that had to be addressed and had to be dealt with. Some of them, um, and, and you may not remember all these things, but I want you to engage your brain. I want you to engage your mind as we're talking about some of these things. You know, sometimes we come to church and we think we can leave our brain at home and just bring our heart. <laughs> that we're transformed by the removing of the mind. <laughs> That's... <laughs> No, no, renew, recycle, reuse. <laughs> renew the mind <laughs> and develop your intelligence and your wisdom like Jesus did. So, anyway, Nestorianism. This, this heresy and, and, uh, and, and, and one close to it, well, there, there were heresies that, that, that dealt with Jesus being two completely different people. That's what Nestorian basically said, that, that Jesus was not fully God and fully man in one person, that there was a fully God Jesus and there was a fully man Jesus. They were two separate people. Why is that a problem? Well, the problem comes to which one died on the cross. Because if God died on the cross, you can't kill God <laughs> without a body. If it was the man that had no divine nature to him whatsoever, um, the, the atonement could not have been made. He could not have single-handedly carried all of the sin of mankind. Um, there's another one, and this is the hardest one for me to pronounce, monophysitism. <laughs> I think I did a pretty good job. <laughs> it takes the other extreme, and it was a reaction to Nestorianism, and it's saying that Jesus is not one person with two natures, that he is, he is one person with one nature, that he is only divine. And, and it, it was very similar to different thought patterns that said that Jesus started out as a man, but was overtaken by the divine nature eventually. And, um, and that's, that, that is not what the scripture teaches. We just read out of John 1. The word was in the beginning with God. The word was God. And the word became flesh. Not the flesh became word. If he's only God, how can he atone for the sin of man again? He did not become God. He was God from the beginning. Arianism was another one that would say, and, and different sects like Mormonism and Je Jehovah's Witness start going along these streams and these veins. It says if he, if they, they said that he was not fully God. Um, Jehovah's Witness believed that he is the incarnate angel Gabriel, that he is a created being that was, had divine attributes, but that was not God himself and that took on human flesh. And so the problem with this is, again, if he is not fully God, how can he fully and perfectly represent God to humanity? And I want to go on the other side of that and say, how could he fully um, unite humanity to God? Hit more on that in a few moments. But um, how could he carry the sins of the world? And why was he allowed to be worshipped in the scriptures? And, and I'll, I'll hit on that. But he was actually, um, Thomas the, the, the came up to him and saw him in, in his resurrected body and said, My Lord and my God. And in Luke 24, after Jesus is resurrected, it says they're meeting with him, they're talking with him, and they worshipped him. And it didn't bother him. If angels in the scripture received worship, or if, or if saints received worship, they immediately corrected people. And you should do the same <laughs> if they worship you. <laughs> so, <Good. laughs> 
Last one, last major one. There are a few others, but docetism. This teaches that Jesus is not fully man. That um, and and it's from and Christian science leans on this end that all the material is bad and that Jesus was more of a, a spirit phantom being that um, and that 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 did not um, fully possess human nature. And so, but the the question again: How could a God die for the mankind and atone for mankind's sin? He is not fully man. And how could the word become flesh if he was not fully man? So, a few heresies there. What do the scriptures say? The prophets are declaring this man with the divine with divine attributes. Isaiah says in Isaiah 9, For unto us a child will be born, a son will be given to us. A human being is going to come into the world, he's saying. The government will rest on his shoulders. And so it's talking about this man coming to sit on the throne of Israel, and everyone's in agreement, everyone's excited this, thus far, and Isaiah is, yes, God, you're sending us a human king that's going to come, and he's going to rule righteously and justly. But then it says his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Yes. He's going to be a wonderful counselor. But then this phrase, mighty God, eternal father, must have shocked Isaiah. This man would be God. And he would sit upon the throne of David and he would establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. Jeremiah, the days are coming, declares the Lord. I will raise up for David a righteous branch. He will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. This is the name by which he will be called Yahweh, our righteousness. Micah 5. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They have laid siege against us. With a rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, how do we do there, Marvin? <laughs> Too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. A human being is going to come and rule in Israel, but his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. This ruler is God. Now, in our Bible, we see in the word Lord, often attributed, it was the most common title ascribed to Jesus by, um, by our scriptures, by the first century church. In the Septuagint, again, let's get our, that's new to you, learn some new information. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of what we call the Old Testament that was around in Jesus' day. It's actually the manuscript um, um, that, that, that many of the Jews were reading from in that day because they, um, Greek was one of the um, dominating languages of that time. So the word Lord, Kyrios, is used for Yahweh all throughout those Old Testament scriptures in the Greek translation. This same word, Kyrios, is used in the New Testament. It is used 6,814 times in the Septuagint, referring um, and, uh, and to translate the Hebrew word for God. And so this isn't, when we see this word Lord, when we call Jesus Lord, we're not talking about a mere master or human leader. We're talking about a resurrected sovereign ruler who has defeated sin, death, and hell. 
just a few references, quick references to this in our New Testament, that Elizabeth, when, when Mary was coming to visit her, Jesus was just this little zygote in Mary's womb, that, 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 that Mary, or that, that Elizabeth said, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? John the Baptist said, I am the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Yeah. I'm here to prepare the way for Jesus. He was quoting from the prophet Isaiah. And when Isaiah was quoting that, when Isaiah was prophesying that, he was saying someone's going to prepare the way for Yahweh, for God. And, and that's the understanding that John had. Matthew 22, Jesus ascribes this same title to himself. Psalm 110. How, if, if people are saying that the Messiah is the son of David, how then does, does David in the spirit call the Messiah Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, that I might make your enemies a footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he the son of David? How is he a mere human being if David is calling him Lord? So, Paul uses it over uh, 250 times in his letters. But then there's another title that Jesus used that was his favorite description is the Son of Man. The Son of Man. And sometimes we're tempted to use this as, a, as an attribution to his humanity. But I tell you that it is actually um, has some very strong implications about his deity. Because when Jesus is calling himself the Son of Man, he's quoting Daniel 7. And in Daniel 7, the throne of the Father, the Ancient of Days, is set up, and a man comes in riding on the clouds of heaven to receive the title deed of the earth. It, it, it's, it's Revelation 5. And there was, and, and, and Israel had this understanding that there was going to be a human ruler sitting on the throne. But in this vision, it says that this man ascended into the heavens on the clouds of glory in the midst of the angels and was exalted far above anybody else. And dominion was given to him forever and ever and ever and ever. So, Jesus, son of man, son of God. Where are we in the notes? He proved this um, by, by many, many miracles and signs and wonders that he performed. That um, he had, he, he, he demonstrated power to quiet the storms. When he was in that boat and the storms were raging and he said, peace be still. Probably a more direct translation would be shut up. <laughs> Muzzle up. Stop talking. Stop moving. Try to take a nap. <laughs> and everyone's screaming. <laughs> and they said, who is this that has powers over the winds and the waves? They saw that there was something more to him. He multiplied fish and loaves. He cast out a legion of demons. This man came to him. The demons inside of this man, when, when Jesus drove them out, they came and they possessed 2,000 pigs. That's a lot of demons in one man. But he's saying God, the word of God, is going to drive them out with the word. Turned water to wine. He raised the dead. He walked on water and he enabled Peter to walk on water. It says he knew the hearts of men. He could read people's minds. 
And the disciples declared that he knew all things. His sovereignty, he displayed the authority to forgive sins. And as he would interpret the scriptures, what we see in the, as you read the Old Testament prophets and they're declaring the word of the Lord, they say, thus says the Lord, behold, God is saying this, the Father is saying this, Yahweh says this, Jesus put it like this, most assuredly, I say to you, thus saith me, in the name of me. <laughs> but I say to you, love your enemies. The law says this, but I say this. And he boldly proclaimed that the eternal state of every person depended on their belief in him. Jesus said, if anyone believes in me, he has eternal life and will not die. But he who does not believe in the one whom he has sent is condemned already. And the wrath of God abides upon his head. John 3.36. John the Baptist says. So, um, he's, his immortality, he was raised from the dead. See, guys, it's so important, this resurrection of the dead is so foundational and so key. It was not enough for Jesus to die on the cross. If he had died on the cross and had not been raised from the dead, it would not have been enough. He would have just been another guy with a good message with some controversial beliefs. But he got up and he took the keys from hell. And he became a priest in the order of Melchizedek by the power of an endless life. Not because he was descended from Le Levi, but because he was an eternal being. He received divine adoration and worship. And we see this in Revelation 5. We talked about it with Thomas already and the disciples in Luke 24. But we saw this, um, that, uh, that in Revelation 5, in Revelation 4, it starts out worshiping the Father. Worthy are you, O Lord. But then in Revelation 5, it's the same song, but it's declared about the Son. Worthy is the Lamb to receive all blessing and glory and honor. All the angels, all the saints in heaven are worshiping him as God. So, we're running out of time, but I want to um, run through quickly what Jesus says about himself. And then, and then why is this important? What does this practically mean for us? Jesus made really intense statements, and, 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 and you go throughout the scriptures, uh, I call them the I am statements. And I am is actually the meaning of God's name, Yahweh. I am. And Jesus would say things like, I am the bread of life. Unless you come to me, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you shall die. It's an intense statement. He is the bread from heaven. It was very offensive to the crowd and he actually lost the majority of his church. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. The scriptures talk about a shepherd, talk about a pastor, but talk about God as a shepherd. And he's saying, I am the good one. And I want abundant life for my sheep. I am the light of the world. I am the source of all light, of all life and all being in this universe. I am, before Abraham was, I am. Yeah. intense statement from Jesus that almost got him killed. 
I am the resurrection and the life. He believes in me will not die, but he shall live. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Is there any other way to salvation to the Father? Jesus himself, no. It's me. I am the true vine. And we see these things, the, the last really final statement that he makes is, are you, as he's asked right before he's about to be crucified, are you the Christ, the son of the living God? And Jesus boldly declares, I am. And it's for that reason that they killed him. They did not kill Jesus because he was a good man with good teachings. They killed him because he was claiming deity. And they saw it as blasphemy. So he's not just another man. He's not just a prophet. He's not just one who experienced God and he's not one that became God. He always was, always is, always will be God. So, and that's actually the reason why John wrote his gospel. He says, I write to you for this reason, that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So, what does this look like practically? What is this, why is this important for us? What does it accomplish for us that Jesus is actually not just a man, he is fully man, but that he's also fully God? Well, that we too might be born of God. See, Jesus was by nature the eternally begotten Son of God. But we too become sons of God by adoption through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says that we were by nature children of wrath, <coughs> that we were dead, but that we've been made alive and raised up with him into heavenly places. I want worship team to come up. So I'm closing. That we were dead in our sins, that sin had completely marred and destroyed us and had, had given us no quality of life in, in this age or in the one to come. But it says that through his death and through his resurrection, that we can die to sin and that we can be raised up with him into these heavenly places and that we can be seated by the throne of the Father exactly where Jesus is. It would take far more than a mere man to accomplish this for us. It would take God himself to make this possible. God did not just send Jesus so that we could have a relationship with him. And I understand that that's been an important way to communicate the gospel and I believe that, that that's something very important to be telling people about having a relationship with Jesus. But the scripture is much more focused not on relationship with God but on oneness and unity with God. He didn't die so that you can have a relationship with him. He sent Jesus that you could become one with him and join with him in the spirit. That just as a man and woman become one flesh when they have sexual relations, so when one joins himself to the Lord, they become spirit. And all, every bit of, of your core essence and being in life comes completely knit and interwoven with the essence and the life of the eternal God. And we become God-men partaking of this divine nature. 
Jesus came to make humanity a dwelling place of God. And now we too can share in the divine nature. You know, this message, Jesus, or that John the Baptist preached about Jesus. He says, he is the Lamb of God that will take away the sins of the world. And it's very key and very foundational. But a more prominent message of John the Baptist and a more prevalent identification of Jesus was not the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, which is very important and will be remembered and recognized throughout all eternity. But he says, this is the one who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. And Jesus told his disciples right before he died, he said, I, the Holy Spirit has been with you, but he's actually about to come and take up residence inside of you. See, it wasn't enough for Jesus to go to the cross. It wasn't enough for Jesus to go to the grave. It wasn't enough for Jesus to ascend into heaven and be seated at the right hand of the Father. He said, I'm going up to my Father to reach into his heart and to pour out his very spirit inside of you that you can become one with him. And you're not going to live your Christian life by rules and commandments anymore that are written on stone tablets, but I'm coming to write your laws inside of, inside of your heart. At Pentecost, the disciples received the Holy Spirit and they became the living temple of God. See, God took on the nature of humanity. That humanity might take on the nature of God. And I have two messages for you today. Jesus Christ is God. He is the Son of the living God. And this is my second one. That through faith in Him, you too might be a son and adopted into a family.